Hey, fellow Muppet fans, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the Muppets Take Manhattan two Kermits at a time and talk about it a lot. <laughs> I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And this week we have an extremely special first-time guest. We're very happy to have him this week. Guest, please introduce yourself. My name is Craig Shemin, and I am the president of the Jim Henson Legacy and former staff writer for the Jim Henson Company. Yes, and for those who, I'm sure most people who are listening to this podcast know, but Craig has written a million Muppet and Henson projects, including uh, episodes of The Wobbles World, Dr. Seuss, The Live Muppet Show from the Muppet Fest Convention, uh, the Muppets Inside CD-ROM, uh, the words on the back of the Palisades Muppets action figures, if I'm, if I have that correct. So that just like correct. every every kind of Muppet thing that you can imagine, Craig has written it. Uh, and also, uh, he has hosted many uh, live uh, screenings and events of of uh, classic and rare Muppet material. So very happy that to have you, also here, Craig. True. Yes, it is my pleasure. I'm the second person in my household to be on this podcast that's true we had uh your wife muppet performer stephanie DeBruzzo here toward the beginning of the movie and now we're getting a little closer to the end so it's sort of a a bookend effect here of your household very nice uh so we are here today to talk about minutes 75 and 76 of the muppets take manhattan in which the gang is looking for kermit all over new york city but not even mayor ed koch knows where he is so we pick up at the beginning of this clip with uh, the whole Muppet gang dashing out of Pete's to go find Kermit. I noticed something here about Rizzo for the first time. Uh, we had commented before that the last time we saw the whole gang gathered in Pete's, Rizzo was sitting on top of the counter in the middle of the kitchen. And we saw his whole body, his tail was kind of twitching. So we're back to the kitchen, but it's not the exact same shot. And presumably... Previously, there was a hole in that counter, so Steve Whitmire could stick his hand up through. But now, at the end of this shot, Rizzo has to like run out with everyone else. So I think what they j- did is just had him like raise his hand up a little bit, so it looks like Rizzo's on the counter, and he's being obscured by some of the other characters. So then at the end, he just sort of makes it look like he's hopping off and then runs out. So just one of those little tiny details that I love noticing. That is a little tiny detail. It is a very tiny detail. Uh, No, um, it's the the whole idea of of the holes and the not holes. It's kind of a fun game to play when you're thinking about, uh, you know, because there are alternative um, set pieces that are sometimes brought in. Yeah. And um, I I don't know if I ever told this story and it's a little bit of a, a tangent, but I heard this, the show you did with Stephanie. So if she can do tangents, Oh, absolutely. Too, but yes. Um, at one point in at Henson, I wanted an, a uh, sofa for my office, and um, I was told that um, they didn't have anything. You know, they didn't want to spend money for me to get a sofa. So <laughs> at one, you know, they were like, "Well, we'll keep our eyes open." And then the woman who was the office manager came to me one time and said, "Oh, we may have a, so- a, a sofa for your office," and. Um, this was when Aliens in the Family was getting canceled. Yeah. So the sofa way too that soon, I got by the way. Office, I actually yeah. really love that show. 
the uh, the sofa that I ended up getting for my office was the one that was in the living room uh, of Aliens and Family set. So it had these holes <laughs> in the sofa where they would, you know, they would go in and, and puppeteer the characters. Wow. Um, and it was not even like a sofa with springs and cushioning. It was just a sofa frame with a piece of plywood. Mm. Huh. With two holes and then the cushions, so they brought in the cu- the cushions that had holes with them. And the office manager is like, "Oh, see, we got you a sofa, and <laughs> and don't worry, we also have the cushions that don't have the holes in them." Oh, so you good. Can fit those in. So and you I, I, eventually I able wanted, to sit comfortably on it. Yeah, yeah, but I wanted to actually um, use the one with the holes and actually have a, 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 a mannequin of a hand coming out of it. Yeah, that would have been great. Or you could just like invite the puppeteers over sometimes to like ask, you know, tell them you, you wanted to have a meeting and then you, oh, you, you can, you can be inside the sofa. We'll have the meeting that way. But, but, you know, she had measured my office for the sofa and it just fit. You know, they had to, it was mm. one of those things where they had to move it in. And once they put the sofa in, you couldn't close the door of my office. <laughs> so oh, no. it was like, they, were, they were like, well, you can either have a sofa or privacy. Right, right. So, but, but so you kept the sofa? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. But when when I left that office and the person that came in afterwards didn't want the sofa, it was so tightly wedged in there they had to actually take bring an axe and hack it to pieces. Oh. So, uh, and there and went a piece of history. Somebody, you know, there was a some piece of some entertainment history. Aliens in the family super fan out there would have paid good money for that sofa. I I love the idea that there is a bigger aliens in the soup in the family super fan than you, Ryan, <laughs> a person who has written multiple articles about aliens in the family. That is that is accurate, actually. Um, yeah, that actually answers a question though that I have had sometimes about uh, talk show appearances, where sometimes on a talk show they'll actually have Kermit or whoever actually sitting on a chair, not on the back of a chair, but actually sitting on the chair. So I guess that's just sort of something that the the prop department throws together, or they take well, a little chair. And it depends on if they have an extra, basically, right, right. Or, or if they have access to more chairs. A lot of times, the chairs on talk shows are very expensive. I imagine because yeah. they're sometimes they're custom made for that that set. Mm. Um, but sometimes they have a couple extra, and if they're willing to, uh, you know, if they think about it and they say, "Well, are we possibly going to have a puppet come back?" and do something yeah. and they'll they'll take that risk and then there are other things that you know we just don't have the budget to say goodbye to a chair right yeah and sure. they're, they're not planning on you know they don't have someone who's expecting to have a chair with a hole in it put into their office for people to no probably not <laughs> <laughs> yeah jay leno was not gonna have a, a a chair with a hole in his office so uh, so this takes us into the montage of the Muppets looking for Kermit all over New York City. Everyone's just shouting Kermit on street corners, just hoping that he'll hear them and, and come running, I guess. Um, there's an instrumental uh, piece of music playing here, which is called Looking for Kermit. Uh, and and w- and which is one of the, I think, two most perfect pieces of score in a Muppet movie. Like- uh what's the other one i give up well it's it's animal comeback animal from the oh, movie yeah and they when they first you know it's those two i think are like when i hear either of them that's the closest i ever feel to living in the muppets world i don't know what it is there's just <laughs> something about those two pieces of score that are just like that's that's what 
it would sound like if you were around the Muppets. You know, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, this one is very catchy, and it somehow evokes like the the city feeling to me. Um, I, I also really like the vibraphone that that's in here. Uh, I noticed it doesn't have a page of its own on Muppet Wiki. Um, huh. it, it's I it, I don't have a copy of the soundtrack record myself, but uh, the Wikipedia page for the movie lists Ralph Burns as the composer of this piece, which I, I assume that's because it's just part of the score. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like it. It's and been stuck in my head all day. I think one of the reasons it may not have a lot of uh, documentation is that th- this is really the only Muppet movie uh, score that hasn't been released on CD in its entirety. Right. Uh, sure, yeah. We did a few tracks of it when we did the um, the Rhino Best of CD yeah, uh, I, I wrote the liner notes for that, and we were that was able for to the the twenty fifth anniversary of the Muppet yeah, Show, and we were able to get a few tracks on it. And um, I think part of the problem is that this movie is a Sony movie, mm-hmm. so it's not part of the Muppet Library at Disney, uh, and it's not part of the the later movies that uh, uh, that Disney already had when right when, uh, sold the Muppet. So. Which is also why, much to the dismay of many fans, it's not, as of this recording, it's not on Disney+. Plus. However, that may be changing um, because Sony made a big deal with Disney primarily uh, for the Spider-Man movies. But right. part of that deal also included uh, other movies that were not specified in the Sony library. Yeah. So I can only imagine that uh, I'm hoping that somewhere, someone in an office at sony put muppets uh take manhattan well they must know that there's a desire for this one right well and i mean i I would think muppets from space like i just feel like you want to get them all on there right you want you want the whole muppet movie collection if you can get it and they're both sony i mean i I guess it's a possibility that someone will be like yeah we we don't need that space one but i hope not i hope they put it on (laughs) or they just put kermit swamp years just kermit swamp years (laughs) A classic, yes. It was, you know, it was because of that when I wrote the Muppets character encyclopedia, uh, we weren't allowed to put characters that were introduced in Muppets Take Manhattan or um, Muppets from Space into um, into the, in, into the book. Like, wow. Yeah, did you did you try? Like, did you write? Oh, the, yeah. the bios for well, them, and they just told you you can't do it. No, um, I didn't write the bios, but I did put them originally when we first did the encyclopedia. They asked me to come up with a list of like 196 Muppets. You know, I think that was the original count. And I did that and it included characters uh, from Swamp Years. It included characters, the the, uh, ad agency frogs. Um, And but when they started going through, uh, they started paring down the list because uh, Disney, you know, at first, even though. the ad agency frogs and the swamp years characters appear on exhibit O, which is the, um, the, the, uh, exhibit attached to the sale document selling the Muppets to Disney. Okay. Um, that was the, the, I was given this legal list of exhibit O this was what the Disney owns. Uh, they were hesitant because they thought that there were still some legal issues and that was also uh, I couldn't get the '70s robot on robot on on the encyclopedia either, 
because there were some underlying rights issues with the company that built the 70s robot since it wasn't built. Uh, so hmm. he had a page. He had a designed page and everything. So when, anytime if you look through the Muppets character encyclopedia and you see one of those uh, spreads where there's a picture from Muppets uh, Most Wanted, um, that's where some characters would have been. So you had to like oh. make up a second page to to cover. Well, they, no, they, we had already always planned to do some of those pages specific to Muppets Most Wanted because okay. that was the movie that was coming out. It, it For was sure, a, right, right, a promotional uh, tie-in. Um, but we ha- had to add a few more because they decided they didn't want some characters oh, okay. from the more obscure shows, even though it's an encyclopedia. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and like anyone reading that wants to see the obscure stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you would think uh, so. Yeah. And also I should we should just say because we're gonna get Facebook comments <laughs> the character is actually eighties robot. Did I say seventies robot? Yeah. I'm sorry. You did because the Muppet show is from the seventies. Yeah, I'm sorry. Eighties <laughs> right. robot. Um it w- I had been working on it so long that it seemed like actually <laughs> I had very little time to work on the uh the encyclopedia. So that was uh um so yeah, that's uh it, it 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 really would have been nice and uh you know i'm always thinking in the back of my mind if disney is concerned about ownership issues from muppet sick manhattan why weren't the muppet babies affected and uh, you oh, know, yeah. they got the whole spinoff uh you know the, and, yeah um i think that they were probably thinking that, that they were that henson had established them as henson property by doing the muppet babies spinoff right. to begin with so disney was comfortable in doing the the reboot of the already spun off that makes sense right yeah. sure yeah yeah yeah, hmm. yeah it's, it's too bad the frogs didn't make it into the encyclopedia yeah it's sad yeah. it would have been nice because um one of the fun things about doing that encyclopedia is being being able to make up a lot of this backstory oh that must have been yeah, yeah so much fun I, for you yeah i had characters that had been in one episode like angus mcgonagall the gargling argyle gargoyle sure <laughs> so of course. i was able to make up a lot of what these characters had done since the muppet show so the ad agency frogs would have been wonderful to do that oh yeah right. yeah That'd yeah be where did, yeah where was jill born that's what we want to know so uh the next thing we see is piggy she's looking for kermit near the empire state building um i like that some of these characters are looking for kermit in places that are associated with them and Kermit earlier in the movie. I had never noticed that before. So the last time we saw the Empire State Building, Piggy was spying on Kermit when he went up to the observation deck. So I guess it's not unreasonable to think that she might suspect that he went up there again. So Yeah, and I, I think it's it's nice from a, uh, a callback point of view, but you also think about uh, the production point of view where it's okay, we're already at this location. Let's grab the shot. Oh yeah, montage. Right. I'm sure yeah, it was yeah. the same day, I'm sure right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's amazing how much ground you cover in a montage. It's almost yeah. it's almost as fast as traveling by map. That's <laughs> yes. right. That's right. Yeah, this is like traveling by subway map all over the city. Yeah, it's a minute and a half. <laughs> so uh, then we see Scooter. He's riding his bike past the Schubert Theater. This is a Broadway theater on 44th Street between 7th and 8th Avenues. It's right near Junior's there where you can get uh, some good cheesecake. Uh, This theater has been there since 1913. We can see in this shot that a chorus line is playing. So can I, can, can I, 
as a as not you two New Yorkers probably always knew this, but so in the front of the marquee it says Shakespeare in the or, uh, New York Shakespeare Festival on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. And I my whole life thought that that meant that playing in that theater was a New York Shakespeare Festival on Broadway. Well, but it he- turns out that a chorus line was like produced by the New York Shakespeare Festival. Yeah. Question um, mark. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the the head of the New York Shakespeare Festival was a man named Joseph Papp, and uh, Joseph Papp ran the public theater down uh, in, in on Lafayette Street downtown, and the uh, New York Shakespeare Festival was sort of that producing organization, and also did the Shakespeare in the Park. Right. Right. So, um, I believe Chorus Line started down. Uh, when they first did the workshops, the original production workshops, that was all done downtown at the public theater. I think if there are yeah, uh, Broadway, right fans, I did read the Wikipedia article today, but I did not note all of that um, stuff, but that sounds right. So when it moved uptown to Broadway, the producing organization was still the New York, New, New York Shakespeare festival. But since it was not at their regular venues, it's the New York Shakespeare festival on Broadway. Yeah, it, which like makes sense when you know it, but like, yeah, I just you know my whole life I assumed, oh, there's a Shakespeare play, and play I remember there. yeah, uh, there's not. We we had a high school theater trip when I was when I was in high school, and we went to see Chorus Line. Um, oh sure, at that theater, you know, we all went on the big uncomfortable yellow school bus. Sure, and we were so far up in in the balcony that it felt like we were watching other people watch a show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are the cheap sure. seats. Um, like, oh, those people seem to be enjoying whatever that show is. I can't really quite make out. Yeah. The actors. Yeah. Uh, it, it's worse in those seats too, when you're six foot three and your, your whole body is, uh, is crammed into one of those cheap seats way up there. Oh. Um, where were you coming from on the uncomfortable bus to see the show on Broadway? From uh, Rockaway, New Jersey. Okay, that's bad, not uh, too an hour. long a trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a cool field trip, though. Yeah, but then when you think about it, and when you look at those, uh, when you think about it uh, later on, and the the safety issues of those school buses. With no seatbelts no and everything, seat yeah. that we would take these into the city. You know, it was bad enough uh, we would be, you know, bouncing all around Rockaway, New Jersey every yeah. morning. Um, but we weren't thinking about things back then. You know, no, no, yeah. nobody was thinking about things back then. Uh, it is funny though, yeah. Like you say that that the New York Shakespeare Festival was doing all these things that were not Shakespeare. Actually, I've I've been to a Shakespeare in the Park production in Central Park exactly once, and it was. The musical Hair, so like no connection to Shakespeare whatsoever, but that's that's well, what it they was do. A, it was a brand, you know. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A chorus line ran at the Schubert from 1975 to 1990. It was the longest running Broadway show for a while. Um, did you have something else about a chorus line? Um, no, um, I think that uh, it was a uh, it was Marvin Hamlish wrote the music, and he's. Uh, a very renowned uh, composer. Yes. And worked on in Broadway and film for quite some time. Yeah. And uh, other notable productions at the Schubert include 
High Button Shoes, Pal Joey, Kiss Me Kate, Paint Your Wagon, Bye Bye Birdie, Oliver, Chicago for a while, uh, Spamalot, Matilda, and then before everything shut down because of COVID, it, there was a very uh, critically acclaimed production of To Kill a Mockingbird there, which I assume will resume when everything reopens. But we'll Now, see. for Anthony's benefit, we should say that that theater um, opens into uh, what is called Schubert Alley. Yeah. And it's a little sort of alley that connects uh, the two side streets there. And um, there's a, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a little theater shop called One Schubert Alley where you could go and buy posters. Oh, neat. And um, every summer, at the end of every summer, usually in September, Broadway Cares runs a Broadway flea market. Hmm in and around Schubert Alley and the side streets. Yeah, it's a little um, pedestrian uh, block there. And uh, you can go there. Each uh, show runs a table. So you could get, like, so the shows will be selling their retired props. So Hamilton might wow. have extra copies of the Hamilton, um, of the Federalist Papers. Or, sure, sure, sure. Um, huh. I, yeah, I that's that, great. Uh, Avenue Q had sold retired um boxes from the, the box. Oh, nice. The, oh, sure. The sure. singing boxes. Yeah. Cool. I, I picked up one once. That, uh, oh, good. Was fun. Um, and the, but it used to be that you could get really good things there, like old scripts from people who would uh, bring their scripts. And like for some, you know, Tyne Daly would always have a table by herself. You know, <laughs> no kidding. Years, and she would be selling like, you know, it, it would be everything from things from her show business career to like old earrings and dresses. It was basically a, oh, wow. a, a nice lady running a little garage sale. Yeah. Um, but I remember getting um, some old Captain Kangaroo scripts and a can- Captain Kangaroo binder. Wow. And wow. Some scripts from, from Barney Miller. A, but, you know, it's harder to find that sort of stuff nowadays. Sure. Um, Do you think that's just because people are more likely to just put that stuff directly on eBay or similar things like that? No, I think it's it's like a, a lot of the people who worked on the older classic things just uh, they sold them, and oh. you know, once it's that, gone into that uh, collector's market, because people are that are selling them at the Broadway flea market, they're selling it for charity and right. Good it's just a different kind of yeah. uh, different kind of thing they're selling now. Hmm. I think one of my favorite things we picked up uh, one year was a a mug that Charlotte Ray had given to the cast and crew of of uh, Facts of Life. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow, that's yeah, great! The Facts that of Life logo on one side, and then on the other side, it's Love Charlotte and the year. Wow, that and, was something uh, you bought. Yeah, yeah. Do you still like, have it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh I'm wow, great. Rid of that. Do you actually sure, ever no. drink out of it, or is it just? Oh no, no, it's it's in our display case yeah. next to my Jim Henson baseball glove. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. And that, do you want to tell that story? And for those oh, who might yeah. not have heard it, um, yeah, it's been, when I first started at the Henson Company, I met Jim on the day of the company softball game, and um, he didn't have a, a, a glove with him, so you know after. I met him. He, you know, I offered to share the glove I had with him and we passed it back for several innings. And then at the end of the day, I asked him to, to autograph it. And I asked Frank to autograph it too. Yeah. That, so that I, have, is... I think what is probably the only game used Jim Henson baseball glove. <laughs> wow. I, I'm sure. Yeah. That, that's so much cooler than a, a glove signed by any professional baseball player. Yeah. I don't yeah, know if it'll end up at the Center for Puppetry Arts or. <laughs> ah. at, or the baseball hall of fame. I haven't decided. Right. Right. <laughs> they, they can, they can split it half the year. 
Um, the only other thing I was going to say about the Schubert, I saw a production a few years ago there of Hello, Dolly, starring Muppet Show guest star Bernadette Peters. So, uh, Scooter is riding his bike, like I said, but I don't think this is the same kind of like overhead marionette style, uh, very involved uh, bike. Yeah, we that never we've seen we before. never saw the the wheels. So right, they could do this with just uh, Richard Hunt holding the handlebars, right, and being pulled by. But I think what's uh, very interesting to me is the taxi that he passed, uh, because it has the advertising for Manhattan Melodies. Right. And so the, it begs the question, how long does it take to design a Manhattan Melodies logo and contact the ad agency and get it in place on top of a taxi? Uh, because we only have like a two-week window. Right, that's right, what Ronnie said. But yeah, they had two weeks to do everything. So I, I want to hire this, this graphic designer. I want to hire <laughs> these people yeah. because uh, they were able to get it going. Yeah, right. a lot happens in two weeks. Two <laughs> weeks, right. Now, I, I did notice that the, the sign on the cab says Broadway and 45th Street uh, for the address of Manhattan Melody. Oh, okay. But is the the Biltmore Theater, I believe, is what they use for the exterior. Yeah, correct. And that's Forty uh, Seventh near Eighth. Oh, huh. Huh. I, yeah. I wonder if they were planning on using a different theater, or yeah, or that, just that's uh, very interesting. Or they just didn't care about. Or the, uh, yeah, it just wasn't worth. Continuity. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Huh. Wow. Um. So we see Rizzo. He's back at Sardi's, and he's calling for Kermit. Then he turns to the doorman and says, "Have you seen a frog?" And we we don't really get the, the doorman's oh, uh, be, Before we get to that, I just wanted to also mention that the cab that goes by is a checker cab. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is uh, a very old-style taxi cab that was sort of retired right around the end yeah, of the Yeah, you don't see the, the those anymore, yeah. They're, they're, like, available for special rental for shows and movies and stuff, but mm. it was a very large, sort of um, bulbous-looking vehicle that had seats that could flip down on the inside it was a very oh. large and comfortable um taxi cab yeah i feel like a lot of old-fashioned cars were kind of bulbous yeah. <laughs> yeah they don't make them like that anymore but what's unique about it is that it was designed and built specifically to be a taxi cab mm. as opposed to what we have now which were you know basically cabs are, are things that used to be other kinds of cars that have been converted for yeah, people. there was that thing a few years ago where they designed a, something specifically to be yeah. a cab, but then like everybody hated it, so they kind of never got around to making them, I think. Yeah, I think they made a few of them, but then by the time they start making them, it's already outdated. Right, that was, and that they was move on to too. something else. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I don't have all the details. But I didn't, story, I didn't mean to interrupt your... Um, no, no, that's, that's interesting. We, I, we have not talked about checker cabs on on the show yet i think we've seen a couple of them already in the in the movie they're, so. they're fun to watch for in a lot of movies of that area of yeah. that era um i think arthur and splash and mm. a lot of those 80s movies were sort of the last and and if you look in some of these films because the uh cabs were starting to get phased out the number on the cab uh, i don't think we get to see it in this shot but in, in a lot of these movies the number on the cabs are the same Oh, just because there's the same few cabs yeah, being used in it, every movie. Exactly. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so, yes, we Rizzo at Sardis. Uh, any other th- thoughts? It's a very brief scene. Any thoughts about Rizzo at Sardis? 
Well, you know? uh, uh, the only thing is that the doorman seemed to not be that offended at the sight of the rat. That's you know, true. It, Last it, time, everybody was very freaked out about rats although, in the restaurant. Although he is outside. He's in the street, I guess, in New yeah, York. So. Seeing a rat, you know, on the street is not as offensive as having them run through sardines. Yeah, right. even if he's yeah. talking and wearing a baseball cap. So uh, then, so meanwhile, we see Kermit or Phil and uh, his colleagues. They're giving a presentation in a boardroom. Uh, Phil is now wearing a fancy suit uh, like the other frogs. He's pointing at this uh, poster that has the Ocean Breeze logo. And then on the top, it has the slogan, Ocean Breeze will get you clean twice, but in slightly different typefaces. <laughs> And we can sort of vaguely hear him saying a revolutionary new slogan, which is Ocean Breeze will get you clean. Uh, so, Craig, you had something about the boardroom, uh, the, the, yeah, the attendees the reason, here. Yeah, one of the reasons I picked this section of the film is that you can see Frank Oz in the back, clearly. But I wanted to give a shout out to the man right in the front with the glasses and the mustache. And that was Bob Bromberg who was the main financial uh, person at the Jim Henson company. Oh. Uh, he was the, the chief financial officer and uh, was a very nice man. And I had started at the company as an intern in 87 and then as a staffer in 88. So it was not that long after the, this movie was made. Right. And he was one of these, you know, old style guys who always had a cigar sticking out of his mouth, you know, <laughs> And if he didn't, you'd think there was one there. Sure. <laughs> Phantom cigar. And, you know, he was a very nice guy. But I remember when um, shortly after I started, the Jim Henson Hour was uh, was on the air. And it was not uh, a big hit. And right. they were having some financial issues related to the fact that when you do a network TV show, uh, you have to deficit finance it. So... NBC pays a set amount for each episode, mm-hmm. you know, and let's say if they were paying 800,000 for an episode and the, it cost, um, you know, a million and a half, that other money has to come from somewhere. NBC doesn't. And I can only these. assume the Jim Henson hour was an exceptionally expensive TV show. I think certain episodes were, I yeah. think that, uh, you know, in certain episodes, like the dog city, which was originally supposed to take an hour to shoot, ended up taking not an hour, a week to shoot. I think it ended up taking closer to three weeks. Mm. So the costs increase. Uh, So they were deficit financing the Jim Henson hour. The company was having some financial uh, issues because of that. And they all called the company. They had a company meeting down at a hotel and said that there might have to be some cutbacks and, and might, there might be layoffs. So after that meeting, I went to Bob Bromberg and I asked him, should I start looking around for another job? Because I was one of the last people they hired. And then he looked at me. He's like, Craig, we pay you so little that we would not (laughs) pay any money if we let you go. And I was I was insulted and pleased at the same time. What a a relief. Yeah. Wow. Um, but then I, I still, it didn't stop me from having these anxiety dreams. And I had one that was really weird when I came, I, I would dreamt that I came into the office and I got to my desk and there were two people there sitting and working. And then in my dream, 
I went to Bob Bromberg and Bob Beecher, who was the um, the guy who was the managing director. Bob Beecher was uh, now heads the Motion Picture uh, Fund. We saw him accept the Oscar for the Motion Picture Fund uh, oh. on uh, Academy Awards. Yeah, and I I went to them in my dream, and I said, you know, Bob, Bob. They were both Bob. Right. And, and I just I just went to my desk, and there were two people there, and. They said to me, and this is in my dream, could have been very well reality. So we found out that we could hire two Swedish people to do the job that you do for the same <laughs> amount of money. And that's when I woke up. But when I got to work, <laughs> and I, it was very specific that in yeah. my dream it was Swedish people. Right, right. Um, but then when I got to the office, I, my, my desk was still, my, was, st- was still there. So, uh, but, so that was Bob Bromberg in the uh, conference room. Wow. Had you been, had you been eating, uh, like some Swedish fish before you, uh, had that dream or Swedish meatballs? No, I, I might've been doing something. It, I think I might've been doing something associated with the Swedish chef at that point. Oh, you know, there you doing go. Doing something. Sure, you know, yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, that's all great. Uh, and yes, uh, Frank Oz is, is in there toward the back. He's looking on very intently with everyone else. Um, and it's a, it's a tradition among movie directors to uh, pop up in cameos. Uh, but I think uh, that Frank hasn't done it a lot. He, he more often appears not. in movies that John Landis directs. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't think of any others that he's done in his own movies. There, there may be some, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't comes think to mind. So. Yeah. I, no, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, but he's he's quite good when he appears. I, he, he was really good in Knives Out. I think. Oh, yeah, he great, was great in Knives, Knives Out. Out. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. like perfect casting for that role. Yeah. Um, and we'll and we should also note that he is in. This is his third cameo in a Muppet movie. He was oh, yeah. he was in the Muppet movie and the Great Muppet Caper as well. So yes, he, he does appear in all three of these originals. Yes, he played a biker at the El Slizo in the Muppet movie, and he was uh, in the newsroom in the Great Muppet Caper. So right, yeah. Uh, so I also wanted to mention something that I forgot to bring up before when we were talking about these frogs, uh, in a, uh, a live video event in 2020 with the museum of the moving image, Frank Oz and Dave goals were talking about this movie. They were talking about the fact that this was Frank's first time directing a film by himself and that he felt like he had to be in control of everything. And Dave goals claimed that this included one instance where, they were shooting a take, and I, I is Dave Gill or Bill? I keep forgetting. He's Bill. Bill. Dave okay. is Bill, yes. Okay, so he had Bill's mouth open, and Frank called cut on the whole shot just to tell Dave to close his frog's mouth <laughs> so they could then begin the takeover again. <laughs> so so the question I have, you notice that you mentioned the, the fonts of the, the two different fonts of the, the – of the slogan. Yeah. Just ocean breeze will get you clean twice. We just saw a beautifully typeset and, and designed poster from Manhattan melodies. Yes. So I would think that the frog could have a slightly better design for the ocean breeze slogan than just these two slightly. Yeah. They really should have come up with something better by now. Well, I, I, I wonder if they aren't like, it getting into the nitty gritty of it, you know, and it's like, here are some different options for like just the typeface that's going to be suppose. on the poster, yeah. you know, or something like that. 
I'm, I'm trying to give the frogs the benefit of the doubt here, you know? Yeah. And I also question the, the slogan itself as, as a writer. <laughs> sure. Um, Please go on. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe a modifier is called for, you know, when you're, let, let's be frank here about the, um, the, the grocery store and, and the, the, the uh, merchandise industry. It, the shelf space at markets is at a premium. Yes. You know, it, it's a frog eat frog. Oh. Nice. Nice. So the soap company has to really step up and just a, an ocean breeze soap will get you clean while a groundbreaking approach. <laughs> yes. Just saying what the product does. It, it It's a wonderful approach, but maybe will get you really clean oh. or will get you the cleanest you know, <laughs> some it, it reminds me of the slogan that kellogg's uh you know kellogg's had a slogan it's um kellogg's k-e-double-l-o-double-good kellogg's best to you now another cereal company i think it was post their slogan was we make breakfast a little bit better hmm. now which of those breakfast cereals are you gonna buy the best to you each morning, or we make breakfast a little bit better. Well, <laughs> right. is it is the implication that it's better than the one that says it's the best? Well, no, they're saying that they make breakfast a little bit better. Yeah. They don't say that their cereal is better. Oh. Um, so I, I think that there are some product esteem issues with Ocean Breeze soap that they need sure. to <laughs> they need to hit it out of the park a little bit more. They need to yeah. really you know be confident and. You know, it's up to the ad men to to make that. Well, you know? we we definitely see that they are not so confident in their work when when Kermit yeah. first meets them. So yeah, this, this might this, still be lingering effects of that. It doesn't look like he's in the in the um, the Don Draper uh, stratus when he's no, making this yet. pitch. No, although although we will see later in this montage that sales are literally off the charts. Yes, that's true. Well, yeah, so, we'll get to so that. Something's working. Okay. Um, I, this just occurred to me. Does this, when did the you're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean soap, uh, when did that, that campaign start? It was probably around that time, I, I would imagine. Yeah. I, I almost wonder if this was inspired by that or if that was inspired by this, possibly. Now, one thing that was inspired by this is that since this film... I've seen several soaps called Ocean Breeze. You yes, know, yeah, a lot that, of store brands. That pops um, up yeah. every once in a while. Uh, yeah, Muppet yeah. fans are delighted to share those kinds of things among right. themselves. I think I uh, use I use Suave Ocean Breeze body wash specifically yeah. because it's called that. There of you course, go. and and it will get you clean. Exactly. Does yeah. it work? Does it get you clean? Then it gets me clean. <laughs> oh, but good. does it get you really clean? Because then I. You know, uh, that's another brand, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe it's a legal thing, and the frogs know that the product doesn't really get you very clean. You know, it's <laughs> right, like we right. have to we have to hold off and say only what we can legally prove. Yeah, it has to pass the F D, not the FDA. Who is it? Who uh, uh, FCC or, or the? Uh, it probably would be the FDA. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't, I don't know. know. It's not. It's neither a food nor a drug. But it's, yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, so any other uh, thoughts on the, this boardroom moment before we move on? No, but it's it's kind of nice to see uh, these guys in their in their element and seeing yeah. the fro frogs in nice suits. 
it's always nice to see that. Yeah, and and Kermit like he he takes right to it. So, uh, so the next thing we see is uh, Jenny and uh, Ronnie. They are searching in Central Park, which again, this Central Park has some significance uh, with with Jenny and Kermit before. By the Wait. way, have you guys talked in previous episodes? And I don't mean to keep interrupting, but no, no, that's what we have, do. Please, yes, yeah, have yeah. we talked about uh, when the Ad Frogs reappeared on public service announcements? Uh, no. no, we haven't. Yeah, the, you look for it. I think you can find it on the. You know, you could find the information in the Muppet Wiki, but um, the frogs headlined one of the uh, years of the National Wildlife Federation Muppet ad campaign. Uh, oh, wow. And I think I they, I knew that. Yeah, you could probably find the clips on YouTube, I'm imagining. Yeah, that and, sounds familiar. I, I had not remembered that, though. It was a few years after this, right? Yes. And I think it was... Um, they, they they were called this ad agency was called Four Frogs Advertising Agency and not the Mad Av. I think it's Mad Av in this. Yes. Um, and it was the the four ad agency frogs, and I think Robin made an appearance. And I think this was shortly after Jim passed away. And okay. Was, uh, you know, we had a limited access to some of the classic core character oh sure yeah that makes sense uh, because frank was making movies and jim was not there so they were able to get uh the the ad agency gang and jerry yeah. and robin and uh <laughs> it was it was fun because it was like the whole thing was them trying to come up with a slogan for the national wildlife uh i think it was for it may have been earth day maybe not but it was for something association associated with national wildlife yeah fun. that that's cool yeah, that you were yeah. able to bring the characters back i'll yeah we'll look for a link to to that and Put it in the show notes if it's out there. Yeah. Are we, is there something between Ronnie and Jenny? Well, that's what oh. I was just about to say is my mom was our guest last week, as listeners might remember. Well, now that's a get. It, oh, it absolutely. We were very thrilled. And and she is very into the idea of Ronnie and Jenny as a couple. <laughs> like she, when we watched it for this podcast, she said, I wish they would get married. <laughs> so. So I, apparently there is something there. Well, you know? I had something I was going to, I had this at the end of my notes, but uh, in the March 7th, 1983 draft of the screenplay, this is uh, labeled as the, the second draft by Frank Oz. It does specify that when Ronnie and Jenny are looking for Kermit, they are holding hands. Uh-huh. So there was some thought given to that, I guess, but I don't know. It feels like it comes pretty late in the movie to introduce that. And also, I, yeah. like, we don't really care well, about them as well, much as we care about yeah, Kermit but I, and Piggy. Kind of, you know, you're thinking about these Hollywood musicals, and you always have the the third and fourth build couple ending up together, you know. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, because it, it's like one is comedy relief, and one's the comedic uh, lady, and they end up finding each other. <clears throat> right, that's did, true. And Stephanie, Don, did Donald Stephanie, O'Connor and Piggy Ryan, if you will. I'm trying to remember if Stephanie mentioned it in her show, but when Stephanie and John Tartaglia won the theater world, the theater world award for the outstanding debut in Avenue Q, the award was presented by Lonnie Price. Oh, that's oh, cool. no kidding. I don't remember her mentioning that. Yeah, it was, you know, she would think, well, let's see. They're picking out who's going to give the awards. Who's worked with puppets? <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's great. 
And if if you have a chance, Juliana Donald appears in a very funny movie called Brain Donors. Oh yeah, yes, I I rewatched that recently. Uh, They covered it on an episode of the Marx Brothers Council podcast, which is co-hosted by a previous guest of this podcast, Noah Diamond. So yeah, I rewatched it when they did that, and it's it it's it mostly holds up. It's very funny, and Juliana Donald plays a character not dissimilar to her character in this. Yes, yeah, so I would. He, she's I would, a dancer and not a costume designer. Right, right, right. I I would say that it's better than at least three Marx Brothers movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a Marx Brothers homage. Yeah, we should mention. Yeah, we that. should we should say um, that. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it works pretty well. It's very funny. Recommended. <laughs> so, yeah. anything else about the Central Park shot? No, it's just um, you know we're you know, the more I think about it, Ronnie really has the most at stake here. Oh yeah, this is his first things. show. Yeah. yeah, this is his one shot to produce a show. Although I do have some theories on this. We'll discuss later. Oh, that's very intriguing. Um, all right. So then um, at the 30 second mark of this clip, we see uh, some members of the electric mayhem. They're yelling for Kermit around the city. Um, then uh, we go back to Pete's. We see everyone uh, rehearsing a musical number. Uh, Piggy's wearing a top hat that I think looks great on her. Uh, I don't think we actually see her wearing it in the finale of Manhattan Melodies later in the movie. Yeah. And uh, Jenny is uh, pinning the sleeve on Gonzo's costume, which is just a, it feels like a a nice little authentic theater touch. Well, and it, it it feels very authentically theater and also very authentically Muppety that she's just doing this in front of the counter at Pete's that like, well, like they're just, you know, yeah, it brings the big question is, um, that that Ronnie is either a really good producer or a really bad producer. <laughs> because, okay, he's using Pete's as an office. Yes, he's on the a phone. Rehearsal on, space. Yeah, on the payphone. It's a rehearsal space and it's a wardrobe uh, workroom. Yeah, a fitting right. space. He, yeah. he is too cheap to spring for any of the, those three separate items. Huh. And well, he's just moved into Pete's because he can get it rent free. Yeah, right. which which does bring up the question of how much money his dad is putting into this show, right? Like, did he mention rehearsal space earlier? Earlier, when he said his dad was going to help with the show, well, that yeah, I guess maybe that's what he meant. That my dad will help me uh, talk Pete into giving us rehearsal space. <laughs> yeah, could be. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and that it, it's yeah, you're surprised. I mean, I got to be surprised too that that Pete is allowing all this to happen because he must have and, customers who are trying. Well, to I can it. only imagine what's happening in the kitchen. I mean, is are the sets being built in the kitchen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just imagining all the rats back there. Right, they're members of Irazzi. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Great. Um, so we, in previous that was scenes, a, a joke I recycled from a 1996 Today Show appearance, I think. Oh, nice. that is amazing. <laughs> Do you know if that appearance is on YouTube or probably? It, I think it's the one where uh, they, the um, I don't know what year it was, but we had the tourist, the tour guide rat that Stephanie played uh, give a, a tour of the Today Show while the broadcast was going on. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. That's great. Yeah, that, that is great. We'll look for that one, too. And if it's out there, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, so I have noted, and somebody pointed this out, I forget which of our guests, that in a in an early scene, Jenny is wearing a pin on her uniform. It's a 
Penguin, I think, was the first one. So then I've been looking at, at her uniform pins. She later wore a fish pin, and um, now she is wearing, in this scene, I can't tell what it is, but it looks like some figure like holding up a star or something. So um, Jenny likes, she likes to wear these pins on her on her outfits, which is a, a, a cool uh, detail, like a character detail that you don't really notice unless you're watching it two minutes at a time. That is true. <laughs> so uh, then we go back to Mad Av advertising. Uh, we see this chart. Uh, it, it shows that Ocean Breeze sales are doing great. Uh, it shows that it, it doesn't say what units, like is this units sold, thousands of units sold, millions, or is it dollars? But um, it shows that sales have gone from about 15 to more than 50. It goes up and it hits the top of the chart and there's, there's no I more hope in the it, chart. I hope it's in thousands or something. Or, or right, it's not just thousands. units. Not yeah. like we've sold five bars of soap. 50 bars of soap. Yeah. An increase is not that good a deal. You know, right. it's not, it's not going to save the account if that's the, the increase, but I want to know how fast does this information come in? Yes, well, exactly. The, right. How fast are they getting this advertising out there? Are they using the same people who got the Manhattan Melodies poster on the cats? <laughs> right, you're right because it's less than two weeks. This is all happening. Yeah, um, it's just you know they could have extended the thing to four weeks uh, and but, still yeah. you know had a it had to be a little more reality into the equation. But yeah, I, I guess they have instant reporting. See they, if it was must. now. You know, if it was now, I could see it because oh, now yeah. you know if they sell a thousand you know, bars of soap at Walmart, they know about it at, at the front office that's that day and they yeah. send more soap out. But back then, you know, they're working with pa- pencil and paper and, and, you know, analog right. phones. Right. They're getting like uh, memos by, by FedEx or messenger service or something. But, you know, whoever's, you know, running that data, you know, I applaud them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe they were traveling by map, right? I guess so. They yeah. must be. They ship all the soap by map. Right. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Uh, Kermit is holding a pencil in his right hand in this shot. I am left-handed. I have always loved the fact that Muppets are usually left-handed. So I'm always a little disappointed when I see a Muppet using his right hand for a a writing utensil. Well, Um, it's usually like this. And this is just my theory is that Muppets can be right-handed in larger budget shows. (laughs) Uh, when there's a second puppeteer. Yeah, when, when they the know that hand. they have a second person that can do it. <laughs> right. I think, um, it's also probably for, for framing and, and uh, how the shot was set up. They just needed him to do it with his right hand. Right. Well, he's just holding it. But then also in the background, um, once again, I forget which is which, but either Gil or Bill is holding a pencil in his left hand. So that makes me feel better. So. Yeah, and and Kermit is an amphibian and ambidextrous, I guess. Oh yes, he's yeah, apparently yeah. amphidextrous. Let's go, go with that. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, are we ready to move on from uh, the Mad Av advertising shot? I think so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Piggy next interrupts some kissing lovers on a carriage ride in Central Park. Uh, not much to this shot, but just um, interesting to think that if, if she hadn't interrupted them, they might have been, you know, maybe they were about to go into a dream sequence about the two of them meeting as babies. But. Now, <laughs> true. Now, here's the thing. Now, uh, I think that we're supposed to think that she's doing that because the guy is wearing a green jacket. 
Oh, oh. you think she actually thought that was Kermit? Oh, you're right. Yeah. He's wearing all green. Yeah. Ah, that didn't even occur to me. Yeah, I think the reason it did it because it wasn't green enough. It was sort of yeah. this more yeah, subdued. It should, it should be a Kermit it green. Been, yeah. It should have been a, a bright green jacket or or something and along those lines. His collar, his shirt collar is is very prominently sticking out of his jacket. So yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. So that I think not that, occur to it, me. Yeah. Ideally it should have been more of a green suit, but I guess we're supposed to think that you know. Maybe Miss Piggy needs glasses. Oh maybe, yeah, maybe. yeah. Mm. Uh, and the the woman in the couple is is wearing all pink, so she's sort of maybe Piggy. Thought uh, it was herself. Thought it was her. <laughs> yes. Hey, I'm in. I'm there with Kermit. Oh, there's me kissing Kermit. Oh wait, no, that's not. That's oh not wait, us. no, that's two humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then, uh, Doctor Teeth and Zoot are looking for Kermit at the New York Public Library. There's some cool things where they kind of pop in and out of the shot uh, in different spots. Uh, this library is a, a, a very cool stately old building uh, at Fifth Avenue and 42nd Street in Manhattan. The building was dedicated in 1911. It has been seen in a bunch of other movies, uh, perhaps most famously at the beginning of Ghostbusters. And I... I assume that both of you know the names of these two lion statues that sit out front. Yes. Patience and, and fortitude. Yes. Go. Those are the ones I think, <laughs> yeah. I think we're seeing patience in this shot. If I yes. have my, the, um, the angle, I right believe in my head. the person who told me that was Michael K. Frith. Oh, well, sure no kidding. Did. Yeah. That's, that seems like something he would know. Yeah. It sure does. Yeah. Do you oh, remember yeah. the context in which he told you that? I think it was, um, no, it was just, uh, I think we were probably doing something, uh, talking about the library or, or we were doing a presentation or something. And Michael will, uh, has a way of, of starting the sentence with, of course, you know, <laughs> so he would, of course, you know what the names of those lions are. Yeah. yeah and yeah, of, that's course, great. of course, yeah. You know, when I didn't, it's like, oh, it's patience and fortitude. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and so I will. I- Oh, go ahead. Well, just that I'm a librarian, as listeners may or may not remember, and all librarians know the names of Patience and Fortitude. Yes, that makes you sense. You know, it's just like a thing. Yeah. Uh, and I will just remind listeners, if you haven't listened to our special bonus episode with Michael Frith, you can go back in the feed and listen to that. Uh, so, Anthony, I think you had some more stuff about the Lions. Well, uh, just a couple of things. Um, you mentioned that they were present uh, from 1911 on. But they did not get their names Patience and Fortitude until the 1930s, mm. when Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia named them Patience and Fortitude in like a, a public ceremony. Oh, they actually had like a, an official naming. Yes, oh. yes, they, their names were bestowed upon them by the mayor, and before mm. that, they apparently had um, a few other nicknames. I've, like I've read that they were named after the Astor family. At some yeah, point, yeah, they were they were known as Lord Astor and Lady Lennox at some point. Yeah, um, not as catchy, right? Right, but so they've been patients and fortitude since the 30s. And then I also wanted to point out that they are in, or at least the white lion on the Jim Henson hour kind of plays the part of, of one of them. Oh, yeah, in, in a sketch on that show with the a cappella group, the Nylons, singing The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Yeah, that's it. So so that's their other Muppet Muppet connection. Right, right. That's a neat little musical number. Yeah. yeah. And then and then also they inspired uh the show Between the Lions, the puppet series on PBS that a lot of Henson and Muppet people 
worked on. Including Michael Frith. Right, yes, right. Yes. He co-created the show, um, yeah. So he was thinking about patience and fortitude, for sure. Oh, I'm sure. When he created um, that show. the uh, You kind of wonder if they were going to be naming those lions today and had like an internet contest. Oh, no. The, you know. It would be Lion McLion face. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I, I do wonder, though, how I mean, he must have been pretty confident for somebody to say, I'm the mayor. I get to name these statues. He's, uh, yeah. you know, and I guess nobody was going to stop him. Nobody was going to tell him, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, you're you not in a position to do this. No, they were too busy all in their smoke filled rooms to come I, out. And- I guess so. Yeah. Right. But also it's the depression. You got to raise the public spirit somehow. Right. Yeah. And it's I guess by that naming the, the lions at the public library. Yeah. Yeah. We can do this because we got patience and we got fortitude and they're they sitting right there. You know, they could have taken a page from Roosevelt and named the lions fear and fear itself. <laughs> sure. <laughs> there, there you go. But wow. I'll, 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 although now that I'm thinking about it, you, like you say, we, we'll, ha- we'll get through this with patience and fortitude. Like it's a very depression era yeah. name to yeah. give them, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. And also, you know, it, it, you think about the fact that these lions, they have to stay there. You know, they're these these guys right. are sitting out all the time in, yeah. in all kinds of weather. Well, you know, what are you going to name them? You know, we'd rather be someplace else and meet you. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 I do remember a few, just a few years ago, they sort of uh, like refurbished them or restored them. They had some like they were they were under scaffolding for a little while so yeah they, they got to keep those lions uh, in good shape so we next catch a glimpse of activity backstage at the theater where manhattan melodies is being prepped floyd and janice are there which kind of makes sense because we have not seen them with the other three members of the band uh, looking for kermit so i guess they're they're doing important work uh, for the the score of the show at the theater something like or, that or they or they just signed in so they get paid yeah sure. <laughs> At the at, and on when you're doing a Broadway show, there's a sign-in sheet, you know, for every, you know everybody that signs in, so they're there. So maybe they're just trying to get paid. I do sure. want to point out that we see a human stagehand. Yeah, um, oh, moving yeah. set pieces. So it it you you know I guess Beauregard can't get into the union, but he hasn't shown up yet. He does right. he come in. Well, he's in. He is he was in, in Gonzo's segment, right? No, he's in the Electric Mayhem segment. So, ah, okay, he must he must have come to New York, presumably. With well, the he mayhem, right? does. He show up in the end with all of the frogs does, and bears yeah. and chickens. He's and there. Yeah, in the movie, we don't really see him do anything before that. He's he's glimpsed briefly with the Electric Mayhem when they get their postcard from Pete. Um, in either the screenplay draft or the Marvel Comics adaptation, there was there was more where he was he was there with them at the at the festival, and then he was it, that that was in the comic book adaptation. Um, it had him actually driving all the other dogs and bears and chickens to the city, which apparently at some point they thought that they should explain where all of those other Muppets were for the for this part of the movie, but which is not really necessary, but um. Yeah, so Beauregard is out there somewhere. I guess he's too busy to uh, to work on the show at this point. Well, and also it's hard to get into the stagehands union. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you yeah. He just showed somebody. up. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. some guy on the payphone too, but I don't know what his job is. Um, I don't know if I noticed him. Um, yo, yeah, what is he doing? <laughs> I have no idea. No, maybe he's just uh, you know, he's a union steward or something. But he 
He's yeah. just making calls. Yeah, he's he's yeah. ordering and a pizza. Did you notice that those those uh, set pieces and the set pieces that we see later on are very similar in, in you know in an evocative to the uh, two dimensional set pieces in the Muppet movie finale? Yeah, for like, sure. Yeah, the, the Muppets have that thing for the two dimensional set pieces um, because Ronnie Crawford is a cheap producer. <laughs> person and you know it, i guess that uh it can't afford three dimensions it just reminds right. me of uh and i guess uh, lou lord is too right yeah i guess, I guess it's so. uh, if you've seen a, a mighty wind you know, oh, yeah. the two-dimensional set pieces intermixing with the three-dimensional ones <laughs> can you do that yeah it's interesting too because we're already watching a muppet movie which is a certain level of artificial you know of, of artifice so then we're seeing the the movie within a movie or the Broadway show within a movie, which is even less realistic. So it's one further step of artifice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. But it's an interesting point that when the um, the Muppets are making a movie or uh, a Broadway show, their sets are two-dimensional. But when in the reality of the movie, they're in with, in with real things. Yeah. So it's sort of like their version of the Muppets putting on a show is in direct contrast to what Jim Henson wanted when he the Muppets. Were sure, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. And I don't think they've ever really done anything with a like something so abstract or like the only thing I can think of is a, a Sesame Street production, which was not even that long ago. Was that that Christmas special where everything looked like a pop up book? Mm-hmm. Oh but, yeah, yeah, uh, Elmo's Christmas Countdown. Yes, the, but the the Muppet Show uh, franchise doesn't really do stuff like that. So yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so Dr. Teeth and Zoot are continuing to search on the street. It's nighttime. No, no. Can I, can no. I say, can I say one thing? <laughs> say one thing. Um, when we see them backstage, Fozzie. So in the middle of a montage of everyone yelling, Kermit, Kermit, we get a shot of Fozzie yelling, Rolf, Rolf. Oh yes. Which I, is, I, that totally slipped right by me, but yes. But is is, yeah, is, is Fozzie like, working with the sheet music? Is that like he, yeah, he passes by yeah. right, right. By the camera so out of focus. Ronnie also, music. Ronnie also can't afford a music copyist. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but there's also just something so fuzzy about the yeah. fact that he's yelling Rolf while everyone else is yelling Kermit. That is actually <laughs> hilarious, yes. Well, yeah. odds are, if, you're, if you find Rolf, Kermit's not going to be very far behind. That's <laughs> right. True. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's... You might say it would be at arm's length. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny! Okay, anyways. <laughs> uh, okay. Now I'm boy. There's so many shots in this, and we have so many things to say about this. I, I, <laughs> about every single one, I love it. Um, so now we see Doctor Teeth and Zoot. They're still still searching on the street at night, and then uh, the camera pushes in on a manhole cover. And who rises up under the manhole cover? It's Animal. He's looking for Kermit in the sewer. Apparently, um, there's all this steam coming out. It looks very cool. It's like super intense. It looks like something out of like RoboCop or something. Like, yeah. And you know that animals violating some sort of law from being in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're not supposed yeah. to go down there. You're not supposed to, to take those manhole covers off unless you work for the, the, the sanitation department. Now, animal must be very, very strong. Oh, yeah. To do what he does because those, those manhole covers or those, uh, what do they call them? Personnel access ports. Mm. Now, in a non-sexist uh, term. Right. Because um, it's not just men using them. Right. They are very heavy. They are I, up to and including three pounds. I, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty, 
uh, you know, they're solid uh, iron or steel or something. Up to and including how much? I don't know. Th- I was three pounds, but it's probably <laughs> at least it's probably like 150 pounds. Or yeah, something like yeah, I, I would imagine. It's, yeah, that's just solid. You didn't look up how much a manhole cover I didn't, weighs. I should have. <laughs> should we should we pause and do that? No, I think, I, we're I, right. think I think we're okay with that. How it. much? Okay, well, everyone at home, please. So we have a contest. Everyone at home, email oh, okay. Okay, Ryan. Yeah. See if you. Yeah. Would we have a prize for the winner? You get an actual manhole cover. Yes, um, yes, uh, but you have to pay the postage. <laughs> yeah, right. everyone at home, pause, and then uh, give your best guess, and then look up to see if you're right. Anthony, did Ryan ever tell you about uh, when um, I, I I was gonna I was gonna say I forced, but I didn't force uh, Ryan and Joe to uh, bring giant Statler and Waldorf uh, uh, stuffed toys home on the subway with them. <laughs> No, I have never heard about this. Well, it was a Swedish chef. Oh, it was a Swedish chef. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, yeah, we had that when, when Joe and I lived together. That was in our apartment for a very long time. And then Joe ended up sending it to his parents. So it's it's still there, I think, in their kitchen or something. But yeah, that was a that was a lot of fun. Uh, that that subway ride back with this life size, like person size Swedish chef uh, stuffed animal, larger than life. Yeah. Yes. And we ended up making a video with it, which I believe is on YouTube um, of the Swedish chef, like uh, all over New York City. So yet another thing to link to. That was your own montage. Yes, exactly. We did our own. He wasn't looking for Kermit, but it was our own all over New York City uh, montage. So that was fun. Were you you singing the music? No, it was uh, the soundtrack was New York's Not My Home by Jim Croce. Oh, okay. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll everyone find that. <laughs> uh, so anything else about the animal with the manhole cover? No, I don't think so. All right. Oh, the, the other thing. Oh, I do have one. I, it would have been a great opportunity to have some of the rats pop up. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes perfect sense. But they're so, all at Sardis, presumably. Maybe you, I guess Frank so. Frank makes the director's cut. He can add some rats in with CG. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, that'd be horrifying. Yeah. Has, <sighs> I guess he hasn't really worked with CG a lot. I guess there must have been some in, like, there's in Bowfinger a, when Eddie Murphy runs across the freeway. That there's was, a, there's well, a C, CG robot dog in uh, Stepford Wives. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of, uh, or I don't know how much CG, but certainly a lot of effects work uh, was in the Indian in the cupboard. Oh, that makes oh, sense. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, yeah. That would have been kind of like right at the moment when, when there was it, a lot It's of, hard uh, to find real 12-inch people. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The casting call is very tough <laughs> for that. Yeah. Uh, the next thing we see is uh, we catch another glimpse of Kermit. He's now at a fancy restaurant with his uh, fellow frogs. He is reading the Wall Street Journal. This is the paper edition, not the rubber one. Nice. Now it it looks like though, if you read it, it's the New York Financial Journal. Is it? I don't think it's. It's a little. Yeah, it was a little. Uh, a little out of focus, but um, yeah, you're right. There's too many words for it to be the Wall Street Journal. The I'm New assuming, York Financial Journal. I'm assuming it's. They just didn't. You know, they just didn't want to use the trademark. Yeah. So that's just a made up newspaper. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, but there is an ad for Manhattan Melodies on the back. Once again, they're they're really killing it with this Manhattan Melodies ad campaign. Now, it should be pointed out that if you were to get an ad in today or in 2019, 
a full page ad in the Eastern edition of the Wall Street Journal by comparison would cost one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. Wow. Wow. So in nineteen eighty four, that would be about fifty thousand dollars. So yeah. we know where Ronnie Crawford is putting the money. Okay, so that explains <laughs> you know, why he's he has to resort to rehearsing in a yeah. diner. He's not right. spending it, you know. He, he's as they say, he's not putting it on, on you know, in, in the behind the scenes stuff. He's he's selling that show. <laughs> the show might be terrible, but everyone's going to know about it. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. It's um, you know, it, it seems like it. That was sort of what uh, David Merrick, a famous theatrical producer, was known for his advertising stunts. Mm. uh, One of the most notable ones was there there was a a show of his. I can't remember which one it is, but a show opened and got bad, generally poor reviews from all of the New York critics. And he went out and he got his advertising company to find... Uh, people with the same names as the critics. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And I heard about he this. invited them to come see the show and write their uh, own reviews. And then when he ran the ad, he ran their reviews uh, with their names next to it. Uh, that is right. brilliant. Yeah. So it's just like some guy named Frank Rich or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Wow. That, I, I guess you can't do that for very long until. You yeah, it's some it's kind tough. Of cease and desist <laughs> or whatever, but wow, yeah, that's that is really clever. Um, that's a lot better than like that time in the '90s when one of the studios made up a fake film critic mm-hmm. that they started quoting on their posters. Yeah, they got caught. Really now, quick. now you're talking about Dave Manning. David Manning was that? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. I, I thought that was it, but who, it wasn't. Who I know, who I know reviewed um, the Animal starring Rob Schneider. I know, I know there were others, but but that's the one I always think. Of. He gave it a rave review. <laughs> He said, he said, the producing team behind Big Daddy delivers another winner. <laughs> I think about that all the time. As you should. Yes. <laughs> all right. Are we ready to move on to the next thing? Sure. Yes. Okay. So we see a crowd of reporters and photographers and then Gonzo pushing his way through. He is shouting, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, emergency, move back. And the crowd parts to reveal... Ed Koch, the real-life mayor of New York City at this time, Gonzo says, I'm looking for a frog who can sing and dance. And Ed Koch says, if he can also balance the budget, I'll hire him. Now, yeah, it, it happens. Yeah, it's he's not bad. And I will say his comic timing is considerably better than um, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who made a cameo in the 2008 TV special, A Muppet's Christmas Letters to Santa. yes. He he is not as funny in that right. as it well, catches here. Right. And we should also notice note that one of the mayors in between, David Dinkins, was on Sesame Street as himself. Right, right. He gave, he gave Gordon an award for cleaning up a vacant lot. Yeah. Um, but so of four New York City mayors in a row, three of them worked with the Muppets, and the other one is Rudy Giuliani. So that tells you not not to get too political. But it tells um, you something that he's I, the one who didn't work yeah, with the Muppets. Yeah, yeah, but I believe there is still a Muppet connection be- to, to Rudy Giuliani. Um, I believe his first wife was related to one of the Henson producers at some point. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I think he was married to uh, the sister of one of the Henson producers. Hmm. Um, but uh, the uh, Ed Koch, it should be pointed out, also... Uh, appeared on saturday night live yes he hosted yeah there's a i I have more on ed koch um 
he he hosted SNL. He was so he was the mayor from 1978 to 1989, and yeah, he he played himself or versions of himself in a bunch of other TV shows and movies, including My Two Dads, Picket Fences, Spin City, Sex in the City, and movies including uh, The First Wives Club. And he hosted The People's Court for a while. Well, and I, well, I just that's what I that's what I always think of him from because oh. the summer of 1999, I broke my leg. And I watched People's Court starring Judge Ed Koch almost every day. Oh, wow. During that. <laughs> so you think of him first from the People's Court and then as the mayor and then from Muppets Take Manhattan? or uh, Probably, probably if I'm being honest, Muppets Take Manhattan first, People's Court second. And then New York third. City. Yes. yes, <laughs> yes. Right. Um, we should, uh, there, there was a movie, if you've seen a great New York movie called The Taking of Pelham 123. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, the mayor in the taking of Pelham one, two, three, it's a great character, you know, it, it, and, and um, it's depicted in, you know, you, you see him a little bit and then just the reactions to the mayor. You know, you're, you're on the street of New York and everybody starts, you just hear boos and boos and your focus is on the cops in front and all they say is, oh, mayor's here. And the mayor in taking of Pelham one, two, three is kind of evocative of Ed Koch, even uh. though... This was years before Ed Koch took office. I was going to say, right. So yeah. it was just a coincidence? Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Um, I also learned just today in, in looking stuff up that he hosted a, an online movie review show called The Mayor at the Movies, although I could not find any episodes <laughs> or, or, or where it was available when it was, when it was he, he was a big movie lover. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It was probably like a like a like a real player file or a QuickTime file some, that you had to click on. <laughs> a real video, yeah, you had to download, yeah. and yeah, those were the days. Now, according to the internet, the uh, 1984 proposed New York City budget by the mayor was 18.3 billion dollars. Um, it was nine volumes mm. and 4,246 pages. Wow! So. Kermit would not even be able to carry the budget, let alone that. <laughs> right, right. Wow, that's boy, it takes a lot to run a city, huh? Well, that, that was a long time ago. Now, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, 90 billion or something, even more. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Muppet Wiki tells us that in 1981, Koch appeared at a kids' art contest ceremony uh, in Manhattan with Big Bird. And he was in Muppet Magazine in 1983 with Gonzo for the Great Muppet Lookalike Contest. <laughs> oh, and he looks like that's, Gonzo? Supposedly? I guess that's the, the implication. But it's, it's funny that he, here he is working with Gonzo again. Um, also, in uh, my research for this season, I found some stuff about um, a ceremony in, at, at the Central Park Bandshell on June 14th, 1983. So like, I guess around the time they were filming this. Uh, Ed Koch and the Muppets appeared at this event to proclaim uh, that it was it, it was a special summer salute to motion picture and television production in New York City. This was a time when they were trying to encourage uh, a lot of production to to move to New York or to 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 be in New York. Uh, the New York Daily News apparently covered this event in two different columns on the same day, the day after this event. Uh, one of them recounts this exchange between Ed Koch and Gonzo, where uh, it says, 
Grasping Gonzo by the head, Koch said, Look at that face, as my mother used to say. We're both a couple of beauties, aren't we? Gonzo observed. Gonzo, who pays your salary? Koch asked. Kermit does. That's what he's been telling you? Koch asked incredulously. He hasn't actually paid me anything yet, but he said it's coming, Gonzo answered. That's what I tell municipal labor leader Victor Goldbaum, Koch quipped. <laughs> so I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure that got a huge laugh from the press and the, the city employees who were gathered there. Yeah. Ed, Ed knew how to zing them. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah. then the other article talked about uh, Koch asking if he was going to get a dressing room and a star for making his cameo in the movie. Uh, and Gonzo said, you'll get an exploding suit, you'll get your head shaved, and we'll put on a little beard. We'll have to do something about the nose. And then... Uh, Kermit went on to tell Ed Koch that after making a movie in Hollywood and a movie in London, they wanted to come to New York for the heat and humidity. That's that's pretty funny. Koch said, we have a giant pool for you, the biggest pool in the world, which doesn't really make sense. But the writer of this column assumed that he was referring to the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, that's that's what I was assuming. Yeah. Well, if it was in Central Park, it's quite possible they may have been near the reservoir. Um, that's true. He, that yeah, that might have been what he what he meant. Uh, and then Kermit is quoted in this column as saying, "Fine, I've seen your slums already." Which can, can that be accurate? Like, did Kermit say that to the mayor of New York City? It's possible. But I, I guess in a, in an off the cuff, uh, spontaneous could have been an ad lib. I don't think it would. Have, yeah, I, I will tell you that when you're writing these sorts of things um, for. Uh, the uh, bureaucrats and the people who run the city. Right, because you've had to write stuff like this before. I I have, yeah. yeah. Uh, We had uh, Mayor Bloomberg uh, be at the announcement of the Henson exhibit coming to the Museum of the Moving Image. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I wrote some stuff for him to do with Miss Piggy. And it goes through many layers of uh, of back and forth. And then, you know, the, the mayor himself will usually not get to see it until the day of. Right. Sure. Because there, there are so many events happening. And most of the time they're fine. They just do it. But they always want to add their own little flair to it and yeah. try and be funny, which, you know, is not always successful. But um, if people want to see that, I think you can still see it on YouTube. Uh, the Maybe you can put it in the show notes, the uh, presentation at the Museum yes. of the Moving Image with yeah. uh, the mayor. I was there, and I, I don't remember his his comic timing at that event being any better than it was in the letters to Santa no, special, no, unfortunately. No. <laughs> so, um, and then one more thing about this uh, ceremony in that same uh, Museum of the Moving Image video event with Frank Oz and Dave Goles last year. Uh, Dave Goles recalled performing at this event, and he said he didn't know when his cue was supposed to be to to bring Gonzo up and start talking to Ed Koch. So he had Gonzo pop up way too early, and uh, Frank Oz whispered to him, "You are so screwed." Because then, <laughs> then Dave just had to hold Gonzo up on his arm for you know however many minutes until it was actually time for him to speak. So wow, yeah, fun stuff. Uh, next, oh, was there anything else about Ed Koch? No, but I think it's you know it's really a you know it's a nice thing to have. This movie is really a love letter to New York City at a time when not a lot of movies were being shot uh, in New York City. And the Mm. ones that were 
up until sort of the, the tide turned at the beginning of the 80s, where you had things like Arthur and things that were a little more uplifting. But yeah. before then, you had, you know, the worst things happening. You had, you know, taking of Pelham 123 and, yeah. and Port Apache, the Bronx and the Warriors and, and West Side Story and all mm. of these things where New York was was shown as this... Uh, awful playground of, of uh, high, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. There are no muggers in this movie or anything yeah. like that. So, and yeah. from this point on... Um, as no, there is see, one mugger, but he's not a yeah. very dangerous mugger. Yeah. Um, and, and as you see the uh, New York changing a little bit too and, and becoming a, a, a more polished and um, safer and, and fun place, the movies reflected that and you started seeing things like uh, Arthur and my favorite year, which is really a period piece, but was shot around that time. And um, you really didn't have a lot of active studios running at that mm. point. Um, I think the Kaufman Astoria studios was just being revived with the whiz. And, okay, yeah. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. The, the stages where they shot uh, Muppets in oh, Manhattan oh. don't exist anymore. I was, oh, I was yeah, I haven't been able to find much about that. Do you know anything about where, like, when did they cease to exist or what? I, I don't. I know it's the Empire City stages. Right. And I think they were in um, Long, Island, Long Island City. So it's okay. not far from where the Henson office is uh, now and for, yeah. from, not far from the uh, Astoria Studios. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly where they were. Okay. So the next thing we see is, okay, so Ralph Fozzie Gonzo and Camilla now are yelling for Kermit in the city. He's nowhere to be found still. Uh, so then we go back to Pete's where everyone is sitting in a booth. They're all depressed. Jenny says she thought opening night was supposed to be exciting. Uh, for those keeping track, Jenny is now wearing a seahorse pin on her uniform. Ooh. So she has changed pins once again. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so Dr. Teeth uh, replies, yeah, it's it's not exciting without our little green buddy. I like that little, that Dr. Teeth turn of phrase. Ronnie suggests canceling the show, but Fozzie won't hear it. He says it is opening night tonight and the show must go on. And I like that Fozzie is the guy who kind of steps in to give these little speeches and pep talks when Kermit either can't do it or or to kind of offer support for Kermit. He gave the... We don't want the bad guys to exactly, win. Exactly, yeah. Right, right, that yes. speech in Great Muppet Caper. And then in the, the 2011 movie, he gave it like the, you know, you should be ashamed of yourselves. We can't give up. We have to save the theater speech. Um, so, yeah, Fozzie can step up when he has to. Absolutely. Um, um, the... Um... Is, is your summary done? That's yeah. That's pretty. That's it for the actual clip that that, that I so have. So the um, you you notice Ronnie is pretty uh quick to suggest canceling the show. Yeah. So this makes me wonder about the veracity of the whole venture, mm. and if this wasn't some sort of Bialystok and Bloom situation. Whoa! It's the producer scam. You know, I, I'm thinking is Bernard Crawford sending his his son out says, Ronnie, go find me the worst show you can find <laughs> with the most ridiculous cast, something <laughs> that will fail overnight. Because I've, I've, you know, Art Carney's going around with all these little old ladies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, Lonnie Price does seem like someone who would stand up and yell, I want everything I've ever seen in the movies. So. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, so he he's raised tons of money for to put on the show. And as we know, he spent very little of it. Yeah, yeah, clearly. There you go, yeah. You know, all of the, we, we know from the earlier speech is that, you know, my, my dad's going to give us all of the costumes and stuff, which I think is probably in a warehouse someplace. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's got yeah. a warehouse full of costumes and, and set pieces and props from shows that he's done this with. It, I think that maybe <laughs> is Bernard Crawford in cahoots with Martin Price. Whoa. Whoa. And this is, it, this is, this is a paradigm shifting yeah. revelation. Now, as, as they say on all those, uh, you know, all those Fox shows, I'm just asking questions here. <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm not making any statements that could be uh, defamatory or, or libelous to, uh, to the Crawfords. Yeah, um, I'm just asking questions because if I, you know, if I, for the sake of argument, took out a lot of, you know, uh, Ronnie Crawford brings Bernard this thing and, and Bernard's like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Right. I'm going to take out a ton of commercial, uh, a ton of insurance. I'm taking out millions of dollars of insurance on this show. Then Bernard Crawford gets on the phone hires a, a guy to pl- pretend to be a taxi driver and run down the author and star of the show. Oh, it, it, that's it, it, this web is getting more tangled. Yeah. Just hear me out. And I'm just asking questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so a guy runs down Kermit Kermit's out of the picture and Bernard thinks that, okay, I can collect all this insurance. You know, I got yeah. millions of insurance. I can't lose. And then the perfect you know, time. And then Kermit is found. I don't want to spoiler or uh, Kermit's going to be found. Yes, yes, that's fine. Um, and and then, you know, the end of this movie should be uh, Art Carney in jail because he was. Uh, and you're going to love this, Ryan, because he was at the center of this Cosmo scam. <laughs> <laughs> It all turns around uh, to wow. the Muppet Cin- Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Right? Because he started good. doing this when his plan to switch places with Santa failed. <laughs> sure. That's... Right. So it's the same guy. So, yeah. He, I, I can't switch places with Santa. Wow. So I will go into show business. Right. And, and so just for a little footnote here, it's Cosmo Scam being the villain from the great Santa Claus switch uh, Muppet tv special also um, played by art Carney. right yes thank you wow that's you know i it's it's uh it's a lot, a, lot to of, a lot of moving pieces there but i certainly can't disprove it so i'm just asking questions just asking i'm, I'm questions. not saying this is what happened yeah but I'm, just, I'm just asking questions yeah i think you might be onto something there uh yeah yeah it, it, internet sleuths get to work yeah because um you know he he raised a lot of money to put on the show but it's certainly, you know, I guess when you see the the sets and everything, you know, there's a lot of people there, a lot of cast members and the, the wedding. Yeah. You know, so I guess there's some money being spent. But I guess uh, so. Yeah. But yeah, obviously things didn't go according to his plan. And, and I'm wondering how long the, this ran, you know, the, Muppet, the Manhattan Melodies. Or, oh, yeah. You know, we, we're just we see opening night and that's it. Yeah. There's no indication. Um, yeah, it does seem like it ran for one night. Kermit and Piggy got married, and then it's over. <laughs> that was like, it. Everything was leading up to that. Yeah, yeah. It would have been funny if they if there had been like a, a you know a, a, on the screen at the very end a 
a title that just said like Manhattan Melodies ran for 500 performances. Well, that's the problem with, um, yeah, I, I think it would have been great to do that. And, and you know, uh, you got to think about, okay, you're running this show. Who's going to replace these characters? Who's going to replace that's right, a well, great question, yeah. when, when his contract ends? Yeah. Is I Brian think- Darcy James going to come in and, and play Kermit the Frog? Hmm. I love, I love, Foster as Miss Piggy. I don't really see him as a Kermit type. Yeah, I see him as way more of like maybe Ralph Fuzzy. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe Fuzzy. Okay, so you Jackman as Kermit. And- okay, sure. Yeah. Well, well, I was gonna say, you know, in a way, it kind of goes back to the early '30s, right? Like the the first big wave of Broadway musicals, where you you don't expect anyone to take over in Animal Crossing. Well, yeah, it would right? run a or, season. It would run one season, right? On tour for you, the you know, summer, and that would be it. Yeah, right. It's a you make you make time. girl crazy. You're, it, Ethel Merman's gone. That show's closing, right? Because yeah. as, as as Noah Diamond can tell you, if Noah, if you're listening, you know that a lot of these show, a lot of these theaters uh, in in New York were hot as hell in the summertime. They didn't have shows going on in the summer. Oh, sure. right, would, yeah, you yeah. know they would they would do the show from during the fall season and into the winter, and then they would take the show on the road in the summertime, pre air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm just asking questions, and I don't want to get ahead. <laughs> To other, I don't want to infringe on other people's minutes. No, no, but, please. Uh, please that's... But as you watch that in the future, keep that in mind. Yeah, what's this true. show? Was this show intended to be a hit? Yeah. I guess Art Carney does look happy, but is he just acting? Well, he looks happy. Yeah. So wow. Yeah, I think you may have just busted the whole thing wide open. So, wow. and it would have been really funny if when Animal thrusts open the manhole cover, Art Carney is in there with him. <laughs> dressed as ed norton like as dressed as ed norton sure yeah, oh, yeah. oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he's a sewer worker yeah yeah and hey, jackie gleason was still alive you know yeah they could have pulled him into yeah exactly. uh so he's, he's out there driving that bus somewhere he should have exactly. driving the bus yeah. yeah he should have driven a bus that hits kermit absolutely go. yeah Ralph the, the bus hits kermit him. and jackie gleason comes out and goes hamana 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 <laughs> yeah that'd be good yeah <laughs> uh yeah that was everything i had for these for what actually happens um in the march 7th 1983 draft there's also a moment where scooter is on top of the empire state building and he is looking for kermit through a telescope on the observation deck that, that's a cute gag i kind of wish they left that in and then in the marvel comics adaptation there's a panel where Dr. Teeth and Floyd and Zoot are in a boat looking for Kermit in the harbor near the Statue of Liberty. And then Rizzo pops out of Zoot's saxophone yelling for Kermit. That That's would have cute. been fun to see. I, I, yeah. I don't think they've ever done a gag quite like that, as far as no. I can remember, with a little tiny Muppet popping out of the saxophone. But... That's they should do that. Yeah, I think that some of the you know they got away from some of the sillier things in this film. They were sort of going yeah. on the reality because, as you know, there were supposed to be little people living in the lockers. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that some of those more ridiculous plot points got sort of shoved aside and and concentrated more on on more character moments. Right. But uh, the one thing I wanted to add about the uh, the end of that sequence, and Fozzie is as warm and encouraging as he is, the whole show must go on thing. You know, it it's 
It's not true. <laughs> we just, you know, we experienced a pandemic. The show must not go on. The show did not go the, the on. The show had to the not show, go on. The show has not gone on for months. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I think that, Over you know, here. it's encouraging and it's a nice thing to say the show must go on. But there are certain times when it can't go on. And I'm curious, you know, and I, I, I'm asking a question to f- <laughs> And I'm, I, you know, I know Fozzie can't answer me, but what was Plan B? Oh, that's a Who, that's a great question because they knew at the beginning of the two weeks that they didn't know where Kermit was, right? So they were betting everything on finding Kermit within the next two weeks. I mean, do they call Lenny the Lizard like they did in, in the Muppet <laughs> Show? I mean, is it is As there an understudy? understudy? Yeah. yeah they, right? Well, there's a few. We got we got Lenny the Lizard. We got Kermit the Pig. We could, we could, <laughs> We could bring in Kermit the Gore for Kermit the Grouch or Kermit the Ford. Right? <laughs> exactly. And they'd be wearing T-shirts so you know it was there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Just like in uh, Merrily We Roll Along. Exactly. Which so, Lonnie Price was in. Which Lonnie Price was in. Exactly. That Yeah, that keeps coming up. Wow. Uh, yeah, if they don't have an understudy for Kermit, then there's, yeah, they, so, they're, yeah, they're what very is, What is the option? Um, because sometimes the show does not go on. And, and the story is that... Um, you know, I, th- I don't know. Stephanie probably didn't it didn't come up, but uh, in the off Broadway production of Avenue Q, um, this was I think before the official opening off Broadway. Um, Rick Lyon fell off the stage. Oh no! And, um, and so that night's preview had to be canceled. The show wow. did not go on. At Rick Lyon, who played uh, Trekkie Monster and um, Nikki. Yeah, so uh, they all were leaving the theater, and I believe they were leaving the theater as someone was arriving to see the show. Ooh, and I think no. it was, well, and, and I think that someone, and Stephanie would con- correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was Frank. Oh. And uh, he was coming to see everybody, and he was sort of surprised to see the entire cast leaving the theater. Yeah, like, as, hey, you're going uh, the wrong way, guys. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, to explain that, you know, the show had been uh, canceled. So they, I think they had to cancel that performance. And then and they spent the weekend restaging the show so uh, Rick could do the voices of his characters mm. from from offstage while it was restaged so Jen Barnhart could manipulate his characters. Oh, okay. wow. And they had huh. to do a lot more handing off and a lot more people holding characters that... Yeah. So, it was completely restaged to make that happen. And I think that's how the, the show, I think maybe, I think the show opened off Broadway with that. Huh. Uh, um, and then, you know, once Rick's uh, leg had, had uh, healed then he, they put him back into the, the show and everything took over, but that's, you know, sometimes the show can't go on because at that point yeah. off Broadway, there weren't understudies. There was no budget mm. for understudies in off. Sure. So yeah. Sure. Yeah, the so, show can't go on. So, Fozzie, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, Fozzie. I think hey, it's get a, out of here, bear. It, it's a great <laughs> mantra to say the show must go on. Yeah, and, and it's uh, you know a great saying. But sometimes it's just not possible. So I, I, yeah. I'm really curious as to if they would, if Kermit was not found miraculously in the next two minutes of the, I think it's the next two minutes. Yeah, the, I think it must be. I think or, so. Or I think next, it happens minutes, next week. Yes, we'll see. Um, if, if Kermit was not miraculously found as he went into one of the 10 million luncheonettes in New York City yeah. right? <laughs> accidentally, uh, 
what was plan B for Manhattan Melodies? Yes, was that's it, a what, great question. You know, was Scooter, the stage manager, just going to be standing there reading Kermit's uh, lines? Oh, yeah, Cause, maybe. Because that's then, a great way to open a Broadway show. Yeah, right? and then Scooter marries Piggy at the end. Yeah. <laughs> huh, yeah. No, that's that's uh, all very, very good questions. Uh, so uh, do we have any other final thoughts about this this whole clip or this whole sequence, uh, Craig, starting with you? Well, I think uh, I want to say how much I, I really love this movie. Sure. And, um, so I really love this movie. And there you um, said it. I would have paid to see Manhattan Melodies. Um, and it, I, I looked it up in 1984. The top Broadway ticket price was about forty seven fifty. Okay. So it's a bargain, you know. Yeah, I yeah. Pay yeah. forty-seven fifty to see just the idea of seeing these animals sing and dance. Oh, I mean, absolutely, come on. <laughs> the, the chicken <laughs> right? dancing. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, hey, wow, that got my money's worth. I can I only mean, assume that even with inflation, uh, the top Broadway ticket price now is much, much more. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, the because uh, when you look at what people go to see in movies, you know. There's some sort of weird thing of what people will go to see in New York in a movie, you know. Like, yeah, you know, you'll go to see Kong, the Seventh Wonder of the World, right? In in, in in supper club clothing and dress up, even though you don't know what it is. I just recently rewatched King Kong, and that is so weird that yeah, people are buying tickets and co- going into the theater and sitting down and saying like, "Oh, what it, is I thought, I thought this was a movie. Is this not a movie?" Yeah, and, yeah it's it's very strange. Because, you know, Carl Denham spent more on advertising than Ronnie Crawford. <laughs> yeah, definitely. it's all those, yeah, no all those King Kong posters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and you think about it just uh, as a production of, you know, we're going to show uh, a pig and a, a bear and all these people singing <laughs> and dancing. You'd pay forty-seven fifty to see that. Yeah, although it's not even the selling point. You would think on the poster it would say, see the singing and dancing bears and frogs and pigs and chickens but yeah because you think about it the, the last time they tried to get you know last time there was a singing frog playing on broadway nobody wanted to see him it was in a warner brothers cartoon until they got <laughs> yeah a, yeah a, a, free beer free beer exactly <laughs> is that the sign that they're going to put outside of the biltmore theater they filled the place without having to put a free beer sign oh man now, has when, kermit when, ever when, saying when, hello my baby hello my darling i don't think he has and it's a missed um, opportunity no, I don't think so. I think that that the, the there's a certain frog that has a a, a, a monopoly on that song. I guess probably. so. Yeah, That's right. which they they make a joke about that on Muppets Tonight. Remember, Fred Willard was at the at the uh, uh, employment agency, and Kermit says, "What about the WWWB?" And Fred oh, Willard right. says, "Fred Willard says they already have a frog." There you go. All right, so they, that joke has been made. Okay. Yep. There was a very small period of time when that joke could be made. Exactly. Yeah, right. specifically exactly. about the WV. And, yeah. and and it was exactly when Muppets Tonight was on. So yeah, it a, worked out. Yeah, serendipity. So yeah. I, I will say that that I love the movie and I like the uh, you know I really love these uh, two minutes. Um, and I still have uh, a little. I believe in in next room I have a little souvenir. Well, I have a couple of souvenirs from this this film. I do have. Cool. One of the, uh, I think I have a Manhattan Melodies playbill, which oh, wow. is basically a Manhattan Melodies playbill cover wrapped around another playbill. And I don't remember what the other playbill is. Okay. Ah, awesome. Um, That's great. And I do believe I have a Dan Hurst college sticker 
Oh, um, wow. and Dan Hurst College, which you probably talked about back then, with uh, was Vassar. Right, right, yes. And then I have a light stand that uh, when years ago when I was doing some some production, uh, David Gumpel was replacing some of the equipment in the old Henson studio, and he let me take this little light kit. And the light kit pieces have fallen apart and by the wayside. But there is a, a light stand in that kit that I still have and still use and written in marker on, on the light stand. It just says MM3. Ah, Muppet, Muppet Movie, Movie 3. 3. Wow. wow. That is, that's great. Yeah, that's so cool. What a thrill. Yeah. yeah. Ah, light stand. Yeah. <laughs> no one else has that light stand. So, uh, Anthony, any final thoughts on the clip? No, I'm I'm spent. I think. All right. Uh, so, Craig, we like to ask all our guests on this podcast: Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? How do you rank it alongside the other Muppet movies? What's your history with it? Now, I'm I'm sure this will be interesting because you have worked with many of the people who worked on this movie, but you weren't working at Henson just yet when it was made. That is true. Um, I believe I saw this movie, um, you know, uh, this came out July or June of 1984. Is that? Uh, uh, I think it was July. Yeah. July yeah. Oh, was it June? June. So that was no. the summer I graduated from high school. Okay. So I probably saw it over the summer in, um, oh, in, right. in the Rockaway uh, Town Square Mall theaters, um, which I don't believe exist anymore. Uh. Um Sure. And uh, I don't remember who I would have seen it with, but I, I think I made a point of seeing it at, at the theater. At the theater. Sure. And then um, in the years since, I've seen it on various screenings and events that we've done. Yeah. And um, it's uh, I would rank it definitely in the top three of all Muppet movies. Um, I think that there was a time when I think I would have ranked it behind uh, only Muppet movie. Okay. But uh, over as, as one matures, you get more appreciation for the great Muppet uh, caper, I believe. Mm, sure. Because it, it's more sophisticated in, in what it tries to accomplish. And you have more of an appreciation for, um, you know, people like uh, Diana Rigg and Charles Grodin, who we oh, yeah. just lost. And I had a chance to to meet uh, Grodin and work with him a little bit. And he's such a such a charming man and someone who so appreciated the Muppets and working with uh, the Muppets. Uh, and he was so proud of his performance with Miss Piggy and would always uh, like to talk about it. You know, he always uh, considered Miss Piggy to be one of his top leading ladies. And... Um, was always quite uh, real in his connection. So I think that uh, I would probably rank this number three out of um, the major uh, films. Sure. Um, just Great. because I, I kind of like it when the Muppets play versions of themselves. And as mm -hmm. much as I appreciate, I, I think that um, Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island are great films. There's something, uh, there's something not, that authentic about when the Muppets are acting as other characters. I kind of mm. like to see them as versions of themselves uh, because the more distance you put between, you put a, a Muppet playing a character and you do it too many times, 
the audiences lose that base connection with the original character. You know, that's a really good point. Yeah, sure. And I, I think that, you know, after Muppet Christmas Carol, you know, I didn't have, I was just was working there. I didn't have anything to say about it, but I thought that, you know, Tim Curry is brilliant and I, I enjoy, I wrote the, uh, Muppet Treasure Island CD-ROM game. Oh, yeah. I had a great time doing that. But if it were up to me, I probably wouldn't have done Treasure Island as the next Muppet movie. I would have done it, you know, a couple of movies later, just to give another uh, movie where the Muppets are playing themselves so yeah. the audience can get reconnected. Because at sure. that time, it had been quite a while since, uh, you know, the... Uh, um, I guess Muppets, the Muppets Take Manhattan was the last one before Treasure before uh, Christmas. Christmas yeah, yeah, yeah. So I probably would have wanted to do something like Muppets from Space before going on to doing another classic story. Yeah. Um, well, but that's I, just me because I, I I love the characters so much, and you know I want to make sure that audiences continue to to relate to them as their characters and not as playing other roles. Yeah, and not just like a a a, a small collection of characteristics who are mapped on to other existing right. characters. Which is not to say that those are not great movies. I think they yeah, are. Yeah, no, they Brian, are. Yeah. Brian Brian Henson did a, a wonderful job specifically particularly with Christmas Carol. I think it's one of the most beautiful Christmas movies and you, you see people that are, are Dickens experts and they will mention that as one of the purest uh, retellings of a Christmas Right, right, right which is great. And oh. I think it's, uh, you know, everyone did a great job on that. But I, there's something, you know, it's more about just making sure, sure the characters aren't forgotten. Uh, and I think that it's hard mm-hmm. for that to happen when they're playing other roles. Yeah, sure. But that's, Anthony, that's sort of my, yeah, that's my, my no, well, I. I think I probably won't. Let's just, I think we should probably just wrap it up. All right. You won't? Is it because I talk too much? No, no. Heavens no. It's because, like, I have nothing. Nothing I say will add value to what you're saying is what I mean. Let's do the next two minutes while we're here. Come on. Let's call. Let's let's start on the, you know, can we throw in the trailer? Let's do the trailer. You know, that way, yeah, we've never, yeah, we've never covered a trailer. Co- should we do? Podcast. You could do a special episode with the EPK. You want to do the EPK? Oh yeah, that'd be great. I don't know yeah. if we have it, but and there, if you there's want to another. Send it to us. There's another people's court. You mentioned Ed Koch, the narrator of the Muppets Take Manhattan electronic press kit, was the people's court's Doug Llewellyn. Is that right? Oh, wow. Yes, <laughs> I'm just. I did not know that. Just filled with uh, these historical goodies like that. Right. Who was who was later parodied on Muppets Tonight as Bug Llewellyn. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, when Judge Wapner was on Muppets Tonight. With Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> See, everything connects. Everything, everything right, yeah. Right, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's great. Well, I, I mean, I guess I will say the thing I was going to say about Muppet Treasure Island then, which is, Craig, you're a, you're a Marx Brothers fan, so I'll, so I'll say this. I tend to think of Muppet Treasure Island the same way as A Day at the Races, like for for the reason you just said, which is that a night at the opera, I think is is like Zeppo's gone. You know we're at MGM. Let's do something different, and it's brilliant. Christmas Carol. You know Jim had passed away. Let's do something different, and it's mm-hmm. brilliant. And then a day at the races and Treasure Island are both just like let's do that again. Sure, yeah, good enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But I wonder who the who the Fallberg was that uh, was making that that call uh, at, at Disney if it was at Disney, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Or I, yeah, or Eisner. I don't know. Probably neither of those guys. I don't know who. I don't know. 
Who's the who's the producer? Martin Baker, but like who's the Disney? I don't, I don't well, know. I, at that point, I don't know. It may have been Katzenberg may have still been there. I'm not sure. I think but, he left in between there though. Didn't he leave like yeah, right around the the, the fact of the matter is I think that once uh once Jim was no longer there to do Kermit, I think that there was a concern that they that I think they wanted to have character protected within the shield of playing a role sure mm. and i think that that way there was um to to help steve get to the point where he could play the role you know uh, free freely that if there was the support you know kermit playing uh the the captain or, or kermit playing bob cratchit the, bob cratchit there was something that Steve could uh, lean on over and above bringing Kermit to the thing. So, yeah. So that may have said something to do with it. And I think um, it was some of the same logic behind putting Clifford out in front of of Muppets tonight. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, Kermit is there, but he's not front and center. Yeah. Um, But uh, you know, I think that uh, we can't go back and change uh, time, Uh, but and like I said, the, those movies are are good. Even yes. you know, um, uh, how what's your position, Anthony, on a night in Casablanca? I think actually, I think that's one of the better ones of the later ones. Yeah, I, I think, agree. In fact, I, I think back half that that might be the best one. And and that right? would be the the Marx Brothers second to last film. Yes. Well, it depends sure. on if you do you count Love Happy as. Uh, so, well, Love so, Happy sort of like has an asterisk. We so are now um, I'll, transitioning I'll, to the Marx Brothers podcast. Marx yeah. Podcast. Well, well, I'll, as long as we're talking about it, I'll say that I kind of like Love Happy. Actually, I think it's I think it's better than Go West. I think it's better than The Big Store. I haven't you know, seen it in too long. It it like it doesn't really feel like a Marx Brothers movie, like you say, because Groucho is barely in it and and doesn't hardly interact with his brothers. But Harpo gets to do a lot of great stuff. It's a stuff. Harpo movie, yeah. It's a Harpo yeah. movie. He has a pet penguin who's dressed like him, inexplicably. <laughs> I love that. And it's, it's also notable for one of the earliest instances of uh, product placement. Right. but And the product yeah. placement scene is very funny, too. Like, it, it's well into... And, you know, I mean, it has, like, Vera Ellen does a, does a great dance number. I don't know. It's so not a bad little movie. I let's think. start on uh, minutes one and two of A Night in Casablanca. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> We start with uh, Harpo leaning against the building. Right. <laughs> it's going to go on for a while, folks. <laughs> oh, man. That'd be fun. I, I feel like we should at least tell the punchline of that gag, though, before we... Well, of course, it's the, the uh, cop coming up and saying, what are you doing there? Are you holding up that building or something? And then Harpo lets go and the building falls over. Yeah. And that has to be like awesome. the most expensive gag in a low budget film ever. Oh, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And for more information, listen to the uh, Marx Brothers podcast uh, episode they did uh, on Night at Casablanca with Eddie Giesen. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was fun. Check Although that out. Control your volume uh, accordingly. <laughs> yes. The Marx yeah, Brothers, Brothers Council Brothers podcast, Council, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. We recommended it when, when Noah was here, but yeah. let's recommend it again. Great of podcast. Of course. Yeah. Um, so, uh, can I, can I plug my upcoming book? Well, yes, I was gonna, so, um, yes, go ahead. Plug your upcoming book. For people who are still listening after the Marx Brothers, uh, diversion, <laughs> um, I got, I have a book and it's upcoming and it's called, uh, Salmon Friends, the, uh, story of Jim Henson's first television show. 
with I'm uh, so excited. Written Period. by me with a forward by the wonderful Frank Oz, the director of this movie. That we have heard of him. And he was wonderful. And and uh, the way to get Frank Oz to write um, uh, a forward for your book is to um, have uh, quadruple bypass surgery after you ask him. And then he kind of <laughs> has to, you know, yeah, he has to you guilt him into doing it. But yeah. no, he, he actually agreed to do it before I even told him that uh, I think that he followed through on it was probably because I had the, the surgery. <laughs> that, that was a very yeah. clever ploy. And uh, yeah, everyone out there, if you want Frank to write your foreword, that's what you do. Yeah, but it's uh, we're really getting close to uh, going through everything for a third or fourth time. And I just had uh, some more folks look at it. Ryan's looked at it. What do you think? It's great. I, if you, you know, Sam and Friends is a, a a part of Muppet history that we don't know a lot about. We we know some things and we know more than we used to, uh, thanks to stuff like Brian J. Jones's uh, Jim Henson documentary. But yeah, this is going to be like more than we ever hoped to know about this, like the specifics of how the show was made and what Jim was doing at the time and. Um, I'm so excited. I, it, can can we tell people that you have an episode guide of like everything that you were absolutely, able to find? Yeah, yeah. It's still being assembled, but episodes um, that we have never heard about before. We wow. have. I went through, and uh, the Henson Archive and Karen Falke are wonderful. Um, they, um, I have in, in my uh, my hallway now all of the surviving acetate recordings of Sam and Friends. Amazing. Wow. Um, oh. And they also found. Um, about 45, 44, 45 reel-to-reel tapes that Jim Henson recorded up the audio of Sam and Friends episodes from 1958 to the end of the run. So I've gone through that. I've been going through the scripts that survive. So there's going to be a fairly complete episode guide from 1958 to the end of the show. And before then, there's a list of all of the, the songs that were uh, used and we have acetates from. We don't know when they were used on the show. You know when the acetates were made. So I've gone through, and we've identified as many as possible uh, through the help of a, a good panel of pop culture experts. Mm. And there are summaries and little factoids about every song used, and summaries of all of the sketches uh, that that Jim had written. So uh, you can get, you know, the only thing we don't know is what the visuals were that went with a lot of these. And uh, we have reprinted five scripts in their entirety. Wow. And um, everything else, we just have summaries and talk about, uh, there's a whole chapter that just summarizes the surviving shows. And, um, you know, there's a lot about the making of, and, and Brian J. Jones was also kind enough to, share a lot of the research he did uh, for his book with me. Mm. So uh, the first half is all about the history of the show and how it came about and um, the story of Jim and Jane working together on it. And then the second half is the, the whole episode guide. Yeah. I, I, I'm so excited. I cannot wait to read it. Yes. I think, I think casual fans are going to like it because there's, there's so much interest in Jim Henson and the, the Muppets and the early work. And like, there, it, it's also, you, you make some connections between, the stuff that they were doing on the Muppet show and how Sam and friends sort of uh, led up to that, which is great because people are watching the Muppet show on Disney plus now. Yeah. There are a lot of connections. And when you think about it, um, Sam and friends, the Muppet show is made up of 
several episodes of of a salmon friends type yeah of essentially yeah, yeah it's right, just short bits all you know the same type of thing all always kind of on the short side and um it's it's a fun it's a fun trip I and mean, there, there's going to be more than 100 pictures in it that many have never been seen or published wow. before Ooh. um a lot of pictures by jim henson that were found fairly recently wow so it's just going to be in an, a, a really fun uh, you know, it's a labor of love and, and sure, really doing yeah, it because, uh, you know, I want this information to be uh, available and be on the record. And I want to thank uh, Karen Falk and I want to thank every member of the Henson family for allowing me to do this because it's, wow. it's really it's not a Henson company project. It's a project I came to ask them to participate in. So it's only through their generosity and the generosity of our good friends at the Disney company in the Muppet Studio. Uh, yes. Uh, who, allowed all of this to happen sure. yeah so that is going to be fantastic do you, do you have a, a, a date or a, a rough idea of when it'll be out no i don't i mean i would love okay. to be able to um get it to the publisher uh by the by you know early summer okay. um but maybe late summer or fall and you know it could be out by the end of the year but probably more likely uh beginning of, of next all right. Well, we will absolutely be covering that on the Tough Pigs website when it comes out. Um, and speaking of which, everyone can uh, follow us on uh, toughpigs.com on the internet and on Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere else. Uh, our logo is by Morgan Davy. Our theme music is by Stacy Rosen. Uh, you can also give us your thoughts about this movie or anything else uh, by emailing us at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. Um, Anthony is on Letterboxd. What, what's your Letterboxd uh, again? It, it, it remains Zeppo Marxist. Zeppo Marxist. There you go. And I am on Letterboxd at uh, Movies Are Neat. And Craig, where can people find you on the internet or anywhere uh, else? I have a website called CraigShaman.com and uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Craig Shaman. And uh, those will, uh, you know, I'm on some of the other socials, but not uh, outside of my sphere of, of friends, as they say. But um, this was a really good rehearsal, guy. When, uh, guys, when do we start recording? Yeah, you're ready to start for real. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm warm, I'm warmed up now. All right. Perfect. Now I well, can really talk a long time. This absolutely. So everyone uh, keep an eye out for the real episode uh, coming soon. And uh, don't forget to give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Please tell uh, your friends, your relatives, your enemies, uh, the guy next to you on the elevator about the show. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Bye. Kermit!